Hello everybody, welcome to MHTV. We're really pleased to have you with us today. And um, we've got the gangs all here today. So um, feel free to ask any questions that you want to. We're going to be talking about PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. But before we introduce everybody, let's just go to Dave quickly so that he can tell you how you can join in. We really want to hear from you. If you have any questions or anything you want us to clarify. When I say us, I obviously mean Dr. Matthews. <laughs> Please let us know. All right, Dave. Ah, uh, yeah, thanks, Nikki. Uh, it's great to see everyone in 2023 for MHCV. Uh, great to be back. Uh, and like you say, it's great to have the band back together. Uh, so if you want to join in tonight, there's a couple of really easy ways. Uh, the first is on the Facebook chat. All you need to do is post a message, comments, questions in the text box on the right. Uh, and obviously you can interact with other people that are joining in with tonight's episode. Uh, the other option you've got is over on Twitter. And all you need to do is either reply to one of our tweets, uh, but make sure you do include that hashtag MHTV. We'll be looking for that over the next hour. Uh, and obviously we'll try and bring in the conversation uh, where we can. Uh, but without further ado, straight back to you, Nikki. Absolutely. So we're going to introduce to our guest. But before we do that, I just wondered if Vanessa wants to say hello before we get going. Yeah, OK. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, as Dave's already said, glad to be back and um, looking forward to tonight's MHTV. Um, do join us on Facebook or Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. And I think it's going to be a really great conversation tonight. Thank you. Definitely, definitely. So welcome to Dr. Lindsay Matthews. It's absolutely fantastic to have you with us. Um, please could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep, sure. And thanks for inviting me on. Um, any opportunity to talk about PMDD is fantastic. Um, so I'm Lindsay. I'm a lecturer in public health at the University of the West of Scotland. And alongside that, my main area of research is in women's mental health and more specifically about premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And so I'll just refer to that for the rest of the session as PMDD. Um, and I've got lots that I can share with you. So looking forward to it. Yeah, I think let's start off by just understanding what is it? Because I think a lot of people will have heard of things like PMS, period pain, but they won't necessarily have heard of PMDD. Yeah, so even though PMDD was officially added to the DSM-5 um, almost a decade ago, um, it's still not really well known. So it has been on a, like a kind of trajectory in terms of research and in terms of awareness, but in, it's still pretty relatively new being in the DSM-5. So what PMDD is, it's a very severe mood disorder, um, which causes debilitating symptoms in the luteal phase of the menstrual cycle. And um, so by by that, I mean the last two weeks. So I'm not wishing to just assume everyone knows about the menstrual cycle, um, but it's typically like a four week cycle. Um, people ovulate around the end of week two. And between then and when the period starts is called the luteal phase. And that's when you have this big surge of progesterone and people with PMDD are thought to react really negatively to that. Mm. Some hypotheses are a gene mutation or um, almost like, it's too general a term, but almost like an allergic reaction to certain mm. chemicals that are produced. Mm. Um, so it results in these very severe psychological symptoms and in some cases, physical symptoms, which have a massive impact on people's lives. Mm. So what kind of symptoms are we talking about? So... Although there can be physical symptoms, and by that I mean things like 
people what people would assume would think of when they think of PMS, so like breast tenderness or bloating, that kind of thing. It is really driven by these core psychological symptoms. And so there's quite a long list. So <clears> they include things like feel, a feeling of being out of control, feeling overwhelmed, um, intense aggression, irritability, depressed mood, lethargy. Mm. Very other common signs are relationship conflicts, difficulties with education, difficulties with employment, that kind mm. of thing. Mm. Um, and what makes it such a serious disorder is that three in four people who have PMDD have suicidal thoughts or mm. thoughts of self-injury, mm. thoughts of self-harm. And one in three people with PMDD attempt to end their life. Mm. And I think what's really important about that is that um, if somebody had that feeling once in their life, that's that's scary. Mm. For people with PMDD, this yeah. can happen every month for their entire reproductive life. So that's hundreds of periods, um, mm. you know, three, four hundred. And to survive them on every occasion is obviously yeah. really difficult. And that's what's quite scary about PMDD is that people can have this for 30 years, 30, 40 years, and not know to seek help, not seek help, or not receive the right kind of help. So they're really battling for their lives on a monthly basis. Yeah. And presumably there's a link between um, suicidal ideas and actual suicide attempts. And those feelings, are, we're talking quite intense suicidal feelings as well um which again is is really worrying isn't it especially you think about it from a sort of stress vulnerability model perspective if that's then combined with other stresses that are going on in a person's life mm. the suicide quite high yeah yeah so so the rates of suicide attempts are one in three people with pmdd and obviously unfortunately some of those um you know are completed completed suicide so we hear from people we hear from parents whose adolescent daughters have ended their life um trying to seek help not quite mm. seeking help there's um i've recently done some interviews with people and people are saying things that they try and take their daughters to the gp they're asking for help or they go to a e with suicide attempts and mm. everyone's just away with leaflets um, and there's just this there's this gap between the seriousness of PMDD and what is actually available at the moment, what knowledge people have, what knowledge health professionals have. So we're hoping to try and bridge this gap because there are things there are things that can help. Mm. Mm. So, so you're saying that there's been this it's been a recognised diagnosis for tenish years. It's got incredibly serious potential damage to people. What do you think is mm. going wrong that people don't seem to know that much about it? They're not screening for it. They're not looking out for it. What do you think the, yeah, the dislocation think, is? So my my insight from being involved in the communities, um, so I mean like my insight, not like an evidence-based, mm. an evidence-based opinion, is mm. that there's a kind of muddy mixture of factors. So I would say in one camp, there's a kind of cultural barriers where women's mental health has not been or never been mm. effectively treated or mm. received by health professionals. Um, yeah. 
Outside of health professionals is another camp of factors where women themselves invalidate their own symptoms because they are constantly comparing themselves to people around them and they've never heard of PMDD, they've heard of PMS and they think they have PMS and they're not coping with it. So they won't mm. admit that to anybody else because everyone else is fine. So that's a very real barrier, I think. Mm. And then I think there's another camp where it's a really tricky thing to research. People are afraid of, um, people are reluctant to research the menstrual cycle mm. because it's me it's messy. It's um, <clears throat> very difficult to understand. It's difficult mm. to piece all those bits together. And mm. yeah, so I think there's just a messy mixture of things there which make it very difficult for to make fast progress. But there is a lot of progress in the last 10 years. Um, and I think there's a lot of good things coming soon. Well, people are getting more comfortable, aren't they, talking about kind of menstrual health and well-being. Um, people are more comfortable talking about the menopause now. Those There are slow changes when this stuff is becoming more public discourse. And I guess if you have that open conversation, then people are like, wait, no, what you're, what you're experiencing is, is much worse than what I'm having. That's, that's not what this is. And I think when you get, start to have those kind of conversations much more openly, people find it easier to, to seek help and name their difficulties. Yeah. And I think something we were saying which was very bad form of us before we got on net on air was you were talking about the fact that someone can have an experience and end up being seen by a range of professionals so there's not really a pathway that's set at the minute can you explain a little bit about that yes yeah, so i think because pmdd can present in different ways so people might pick up on sadness or they might pick up on aggression <clears throat> or they might pick up on anxiety or the suicidal thoughts or the self-harm or disordered eating there's so many things that somebody could go to their GP with that depending on what they go with mm. determines where they go next. And so that people are spread, spread all over um, mm -hmm. all over the, the, the health service. So some people see just their GP. Some people are referred to gynecology. Some people are referred to clinical psychology or psychiatry or an eating disorder clinic or for counselling um, or nothing just sent home um, so it's spread all over the place and some people won't go to a health professional at all they'll just try and get some free counselling at their work but yeah. not know what to say not know how to describe it not know what it is nobody does so doesn't the support doesn't come back correctly because the person you're speaking to isn't aware of it either so we spoke to a lot of health professionals recently as part of one of our projects and mm. they themselves were frustrated. So mm. especially people who had, what I, what I came across was that the people who had a good handle on it were clinical psychologists and psychiatrists. Um, and they were frustrated because they had nowhere else to go. So once they saw their patient, they had their consultation, they had their 10 minutes, there was nowhere there's no, there's nothing to do with them. There's nowhere to go with them, and they found that frustrating. Mm. So, again, hopefully that is something that can change as time goes forward. Yeah, because you would hope that interdisciplinary. Yeah, yeah, you would hope that eventually people could be treated in primary care, wouldn't you, with recognition from GPs who were able to diagnose, so that people didn't have to be referred in to psychiatrists or psychologists unless of course they absolutely needed to be mm. I guess uh, I don't know certainly my own GP practice if you want to see a, a female GP you have to wait several weeks because 
you know, mm-hmm. she's a specialist in women's health. And I imagine that it's the same in practices all around the country, that it's quite difficult to um, to see the right person. So it'll depend on, you know, the GP's interests, I guess, and own experiences of, of this as well. I think yeah. one of the important things for me to get across in this chat, because um, I'm aware that different people could maybe see this in the future, is that um, there are clinical guidelines for PMDD. Um, mm-hmm. And so there is a step-by-step evidence-based way for treating it. So if you are somebody out there, there are clinical guidelines and the best one of the best resources and places to get them is... Um, on the website iapmd.org so that's the International Association of Premenstrual Disorders and they are fantastic they have tons of resources for health professionals for patients for supporters but you can also find the guidelines there so that's iapmd.org and the first line treatment for PMDD is in primary care and it is one of three or four specific antidepressants. So the evidence base shows that the most effective way to treat PMDD is via the use of fluoxetine, okay. mm. acetylene, paroxetine, yeah. or citalopram. Mm. So they are more effective than different hormonal birth controls um, or any of the other options. So the first line treatment for some people can simply be 10 milligrams of fluoxetine and Mm. it can transform their life. Mm. For other people, it won't work. And then there's there's an escalating pathway for for treatment. But if anyone is listening and is able to see the guidelines, for some of your patients, 10 milligrams of fluoxetine could change their life. We'll definitely tweak that out. Yeah. I think it's interesting as well because you're describing symptoms that could easily be mistaken for someone with personality issues, someone with bipolar, none of whom will get that treatment. Is there a way of differential diagnosis, figuring out what the actual issue is so that people aren't misdiagnosed? Yep, it's a really good point. Um, it does have a lot of overlap. Must be very, it must be very difficult to be a GP and presented with such symptoms. And the, mm. the key to diagnosis is tracking the menstrual cycle for a minimum of two months. Um, and so by tracking the cycle, what we mean is that every day for a minimum of two months, the person tracks their mood and they track what's happening with their menstrual cycle. So when do they start bleeding and mm. when do their symptoms start? And the diagnosis is based on this cyclical, this cyclical surge in mental health and in, in mental yeah. health crises um, and what people typically describe is that when their period begins just like that just back to normal mm-hmm. and it can be quite confusing for people especially when they're younger because um you have these crises you maybe keep it to yourself your period starts click back to normal mm-hmm. okay you just go on with life so you don't think to mention it to someone you don't you're coping um and as you get older it there's a typical deterioration in symptoms um which makes it harder for people to ignore it and Mm. keep moving through it yeah yeah 
So potentially this could be an issue for young people as well who've just started the period, but the research looks as though the symptoms will increase as gets older. Yeah, so like anecdotally, there seems to be, um, I would say almost like subgroups. Mm. So one, one is, um, so when adolescent um, females begin their, um, their, their menstrual cycle, when they start having periods, people might notice that their personality changes or they stop doing well at school or they start um, engaging in risky behaviours. Um, and so mm. th they, they change. Um, so that's that's one that's one one kind of subgroup. Another is when people perhaps start a hormonal birth control, either start mm. it or come off of it, that kind of trigger. Um, sometimes they begin their symptoms after that. And then yeah. another kind of subgroup is um, pregnancy and breastfeeding. So people with PMDD often, but not always, um, have a symptom-free pregnancy because they mm. don't have the, the up and down, the monthly up and down. Mm. So they tend to feel amazing tend to, mm. not always, um, tend to feel psychologically strong and amazing during pregnancy. And when their menstrual cycle returns, um, you know, straight back down again. Mm. Or some people have this gap where they're breastfeeding because, again, they don't have the cyclical periods. Mm. And when they stop yeah. breastfeeding, which could be a, a year, a year and a half down the line. And linking that can be quite, linking that mm. to what's happening can be quite difficult. Yeah, so want, perimenopause, perimenopause is difficult, really difficult for people with PMD. Hormones are fluctuating all over and there's no mm. pattern and it can be a really difficult. Yeah, I was just thinking two things. One is um, people who are watching, are there any um, forms of birth control that are thought to be sort of less of an issue for people who are experiencing this? Because obviously you've talked about the group where it gets much worse when people go on a form of birth control. So are there any types of birth control that might lessen the symptoms? And then the other thing I was thinking is the role of, um, you know, perinatal mental health services, really, mid health visitors as well. As yes. the other I think, about. Yeah, I find that quite exciting that there's because I feel though there is this kind of intervention point where um health visitors are still visiting people in those early days. Mm -hmm. If they're not breastfeeding, their menstrual cycle might return quite quickly. Um yeah. and when they're screening when they're screening people for postpartum depression, there could there's potentially an a moment there to pick that up. Um mm -hmm the your question about the hormonal birth controls um there are suggestions but what's difficult about pmdd is that people react very uniquely to different yeah. birth, to different hormonal hormonal methods mm -hmm. um, there can be a trend for people to have what's called a progesterone intolerance so progesterone mm -hmm. heavy um hormonal treatments for some people are a big no-no so yeah they, they tend to react quite quickly so if someone has for example a depro jag or you can get a progesterone implant in your arm or a marina coil mm -hmm. um in some cases very quickly their mental health deteriorates very quickly um yeah. the difficult part there is that it's a lot of trial and error um, and that can be quite scary and tiring for people 
um, yeah. to work through. Yeah, it's a big role for sexual health nurses as well, isn't it? You know, and should be sort of standard, probably part of what what they do as well. Yeah, thinking definitely, it. definitely. Yeah. Um. So the kind of top treatment is the um, certain antidepressants. The next treatment down is certain um hormonal treatments and like hormonal birth controls. And then for people who still don't respond, at that point there needs to be a referral in the guideline to gynecology. And mm. what happens there is that they initiate what's called a chemical menopause. So they yeah, they treat you with quite quite harsh chemicals to put you into a chemical temporary menopause to see if your symptoms disappear. Um, yeah. If your symptoms disappear, people then become eligible for having their ovaries removed, which is a very end gate, long-term end game treatment, mm. which maybe in 40 years we'll look back on and think, whoa, I can't believe we did that to people. Mm. But at the moment, that's what people who are really severe and mm. trying to survive suicidal attempts every month um, yeah. end up with. So they have their ovaries removed to remove this <clears throat> cyclical, cyclical fluctuation. Um, so that's a kind of four-step pathway in the in the guidelines. You were saying as well that I mean, you know, it's it's such a serious situation. It's been so overlooked, but there was positives coming. You were saying you could really see things started to change. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, what's what's coming down the pipeline in terms of research? Yeah, there's um like a mixture of things. So mm -hmm. at one end, there's a kind of basic science type research which is taking place. So. There's some fantastic research um, in Europe, which has found that, um, I don't know if you've heard of the, the kind of chemical derivative allopregnalolone. I always don't say it right. Allopregnalolone is, um, <laughs> is a byproduct of certain chemical processes. Um, and that appears to be involved in the mechanism for PMDD. So, those researchers are looking into a way to block um well, to yeah. influence uh, to influence that chemical mm -hmm. um some other basic science things are showing that there are i think you've frozen lindsay <laughs> fingers crossed she comes back <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a fascinating discussion though, isn't it? It is. I think one of the things that was particularly coming up in when we were talking beforehand was this um, overlap between people who experience PMDD and potentially finding themselves um, on the on the wrong end of the criminal justice system. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about people in prison, particularly, and whether that's been explored, certainly an area. And then when you think of, you know, a, a group of women who mm. are... Um, in prison together or on an acute ward together and have mm. synchronized periods as well i bet mm. that there's some variation across the month as well mm. yeah absolutely lindsay um i suppose yeah. you realized that we lost you there for a second i don't know what you heard up to i can i can repeat <laughs> yeah. it yeah please do please yeah. do yeah so i think i was just saying that there was some exciting yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'd mentioned that there 
are some researchers in Europe who have um, found that there's this potential chemical derivative called allopregnalolone, um, mm. which is, seems to be involved in the mechanism of PMDD. So they're looking at ways to influence that mm. pharmaceutically. Um, there's other research which has found um, a, like genetic components or so genetic mutation. So it, we know that it's hereditary and follows through maternal lines and also mm. in twin sisters. Um, so again, that's very interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um, and when you mention that to people, they go, oh, and then they mm. think about their mum and they think about their gran or they think about their aunt and they go, oh, okay, it's really interesting. Um, and there's also some different um, uh, treatment options being looked at. And then some of the stuff that people like myself and people who do research like myself are looking at is trying to pull together a bigger evidence base for the impact on people's lives um, so mm. that we can hopefully influence policy change because if we can show with data that this could be it's cost effective to treat people because then you reduce prison admissions you reduce A&E visits you reduce people dropping out of call to school or college you reduce people being fired from their jobs or leaving their jobs mm. you so that kind of data, I think, is really important so that when the time comes for some potential policy change, the, the, mm. the information's there. Yeah, we were just discussing that while you were offline a minute about the possible links between this and people caught up in the criminal justice system. Has Is there a link emerging there around people who are arrested or might find themselves in prison and might be experiencing this? I've not come across any actual data but yeah. um, from being involved in the PMDD community, um, I perceive that there is there are these trends. Um, so yeah. because the symptoms are wide ranging, there might be there are groups of people where they experience the overwhelming sadness and feelings of grief and be overwhelmed. But for other people, what they experience is this overwhelming rage and conflict and aggression and relationship conflict and turmoil mm. and constant crisis 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 um mm. and there must be something there yeah yeah and you can see how people get labeled possibly with borderline personality disorder because it's seen as poor emotional regulation when mm -hmm. actually it, it's um you know it's something physical that's going on so another interesting just when you mentioned that there because when we mentioned the personality disorder we'd also mentioned trauma and um, previous yeah. trauma mm. and there is research to show that um childhood people with childhood trauma are I don't know what the number is it's like three or four times more likely to have PMDD mm. so there are some interesting mechanisms there um mm. yeah. and there's also Absolutely. seven times more likely to have an eating disorder um, wow. a lot of overlap so something that something that I'm looking and keen on looking into just now and the kind of threads that we've pulled out from looking through the literature are that PMDD shares mechanisms with bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder and they seem to be characterized by this emotional dysregulation so mm. that's that's the kind of bit that I'd be quite keen to look at is what is it about emotional dysregulation that leads to disordered eating um, mm -hmm. or misuse of alcohol or other substances. 
Um, so, yeah. Well, there's some stigma. And not just the stigma of like periods and squishiness and women's bodies and all, and, and men, women's mental health, which is a, a mountain to climb on its own. But also you, you're mentioning a lot of diagnoses which are traditionally found by staff to be quite complicated to work with, that can be quite stressful. Um, and I wonder if there's that, you know, there's a little bit of, of, of people drawing away. You know, eating disorders are such a high fatality rate. Uh, people mm. with personality crisis and, and, mm. and that kind of emotional demand. I can, under, you, you know, you get that kind of takes your background to sort of Karen Strickland's unpopular patient kind of, you know, getting yeah. a, getting a second best service, which is mm. really worrying. It must be it must be difficult um, being a health professional and n- like knowing from experience that this person requires multidisciplinary input, but you don't have it. So that, that must be a really must be a really difficult position to be in, knowing that you can't do this by yourself. But where mm. where where do you go? Um, I think um, the difficulty as well comes as well as if you were a person who's disadvantaged or a minority group in some way, it's much harder to get the service if it's a complicated yeah. service you need. If you're someone who's really yeah. articulate, or someone who's really good at put, putting their views across or understanding what's happening to them, it's much easier for them to get what they need. And and I can yeah. really imagine that someone who's maybe had a couple of brushes with the police maybe has a query bipolar uh, personality issue diagnosis just uh, just completely getting falling between the services and not getting to see the psych clinical psychologist and not getting to see yeah maybe just presented crisis well you know could label the sort disengaged or difficult to engage with group of people you could see that they will present when it's a crisis or when they end up in prison and receiving health care through the prison system and as yeah. well I, I didn't realize Lindsay, i think it's such an interesting thing you say that you know suppose someone does present in crisis then a couple of days later their period happens when people get around to see them they're like fine yeah it's yeah, gonna no. look so yeah. difficult for staff I, to put two and two together definitely mm. definitely everyone's just gonna want to forget it aren't they there are so many people that I've spoken to who have been admitted to A&E with a suicide attempt um, and started to be assessed. Yeah. The period started overnight and then they wake up feeling Poof, absolutely fine and um, yeah. maybe being labelled an attention seeker or, or who, knows, who knows what. Um, and um, oh, I had the train of thought there, it disappeared. Um, I remember. I'll come back <laughs> I thought that would work <laughs> yeah. there's a but role I mean, there as well for um for partners and families isn't there as well around supporting people because mm-hmm. you know the person and sort of recognizing the fluctuations and where somebody seemed to present you know in a in a distressed way but then be absolutely fine a couple of days later yeah. either it's not- partners and families to advocate for the person and to be able to talk about how how that how the mood varies you know according to the menstrual cycle it is often uh it's often a loved one who picks up on the pattern and and or maybe comes across an article and they go oh that's Mm. what it is and then they give it to the person and it's like oh this is a real thing it's often someone else that picks up on the pattern and I've heard people say but how can you not know yourself how can you not know and Mm. you don't like when you're in it yeah yeah when you're in it it's all consuming it's all very real Mm -hmm. so for someone to think that yeah it's just it's it's something difficult for someone to pick up by themselves I remember Mm -hmm. now what it it was when you're talking about kind of like inequalities Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. 
and yeah there must be a massive inequality um and again just from being within the PMDD community um we know that someone who is um white cisgender well-educated mm. computer literate assertive really 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 struggles to get the appropriate support for PMDD um mm. often paying for it privately and yeah there's so any, anything below that line must be much harder yeah. I've got a couple of questions come through if that's okay because I can see we're, we're we're getting towards the end of our time so one is on suicide prevention um alarming to hear about suicide risk what mm. can we do <laughs> no pressure Lindsay um, another yeah. one saying um, looked on the NHS website couldn't see much <laughs> shock me um I th I thought the mind website because I I did the same thing obviously this person's doing which is like scan around looking for information I thought the mind website gave really clear easy to read guidance so I don't know if you've got any comment on where people can go just to get get on top of this subject you did mention before the international one but if there's anything yeah. else that you think would be a useful resource so yeah, one so is suicide prevention the other's resources yeah okay I'll do resources first is um yes um the the organization that I mentioned before I cannot um praise them enough they are they go to the place they they're just fantastic. They they have saved so many lives. They are fantastic. So it's the International Association of Premenstrual Disorders, and you can find them at iapnd.org. And one of the people involved in that was the driving force for getting the information onto the Mind website. So um, that's why the Mind website is a lot better um, than than other places. And they're working. They're working on others. They're working on others. Um, there's not very much on the NHS website, unfortunately, but something something for us to work yet. on. Yeah, yeah, something for us to work on for sure. Um, regarding suicide prevention, mm. yes, this is a really good question. Um, so we have a project that's looking at that just now, um, and so I don't have really neat answers on it. Um, mm other than what is coming out of some of the focus groups that we've done is if people them so if people themselves have more awareness that they have PMDD they can be supported to have strategies in place mm -hmm. and so like um you know a monthly strategy a crisis strategy a suicide prevention strategy which involves the people in their lives yeah and also the diagnosis itself um can be life-changing for someone even if their treatment doesn't work knowing what it is and knowing mm. that it's temporary and it will go away mm. you, if you can survive two weeks it will go away that can that in itself can be a big a big motivator for people yeah but Quite we're looking nice. we're looking at it just now and we'd hope we hope to have mm. some kind of roadmap for it um, within the next year yeah I think as we're coming towards the end, I wonder if we could just whip round and if anyone's got any questions. Um, Vanessa, did you have anything you wanted to, to ask before we start to wrap up? Yeah, the thing that I'm wondering about is for people who are diagnosed with other mental health disorders, you know, sort of serious mental health disorders like um, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, are there any links between um, medications 
that might exacerbate these symptoms. Um, I'm thinking about mental health medication. Has any work been done around that? So I'm just wondering around, you know, we've talked about people being misdiagnosed, but all people who do have um, some of those mental health conditions. Yeah, whether... there, there is yeah. that big challenge of people who have comorbidities. So you people can have bipolar disorder and have PMDD. Yeah. Um, so it's... Mm. It can be referred to as PME, which stands for premenstrual exacerbation of existing disorders. So somebody can have generalized depression disorder or anxiety disorder or BPD yeah. um, and have PMDD at the same time. And that must be very difficult for them and also mm. very difficult for the people supporting them and very difficult for health professionals because that's a lot of different potential medications to try and to try and balance yeah. with not a big evidence base for it and that and I'm also thinking medications that might exacerbate it as well given that you know we know that you know some medications can mess around with periods make them heavier make them more continuous so I'm sure there must be a link there as well around exacerbating symptoms that yeah. do with boring yeah. and I think you've, even just you saying that um I think kind of makes it clear yeah. that um we don't know enough about that um yeah. And hopefully, hopefully one day we will. Um, yeah. But yeah, we don't know a lot about it at the moment. Yeah. Dave, I notice as a health visitor, you're being very quiet tonight. Is there anything you wanted to say? You can just shake your head. We'll carry on. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things really. I suppose I've I've been out of frontline practice for quite a while now, and and I suppose it's that bit about you know how much is this in the curricula of uh, you know people in health visiting, mental health nursing. Uh, I'm thinking as well about uh, general practice staff, you know, GPs and practice nurses. Because hearing you speak tonight, you would think, flipping out, it really needs to be front and centre in, in education. But I'm yeah. guessing it probably isn't. Is that a, an accurate guess? Yeah, I think I think that's accurate. It's not yet. And I think we rely on organisations, plural. We rely on the IAPMD been able to do that but obviously they're a charitable organization run by volunteers and it's a massive that's a massive undertaking um so hopefully there can be a lot more of a collaborative a collaborative effort from like groups of researchers in building up the evidence base so that curricula can be updated like for example i'm hoping to in my new post as lecturer in public health, I'm hoping to try and develop a module on women's mental health right. um, so that it can cover um, these things because, you know, women are half the population. Mental health is a big issue in public health. So let's just try and have some kind of module that covers it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot yet. And, and, I, and I know on a trade union front, uh, Unite, a, a, alongside a number of other uh, trade unions, have done work on sort of period dignity and 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 the sort of the more generalised issue. And and I suppose it's it's more kind of you know pushing that envelope of understanding into it that you know this is something that you know health professionals absolutely need to understand about and and be articulate about because if we're not you know all of us then we, we're really failing you know like you say 50 percent of the population uh you know so it's you know really important the other thing i was thinking was uh in my experience one of the ways of getting sort of these kinds of issues sort of higher on people's agenda is having a really articulate kind of uh legislator so mp or lord 
that have had personal experiences themselves and have kind of articulated them. You know, has PMDD got anyone sort of shouting about it on, in, in that way? Mm. Um, I wouldn't say PMDD does. Um, like, there's definitely a lot more there's a lot more um, discourse around it around um, women's health in general. And um, there was recently the new menstrual health. Um, I'm not sure what the word is. Course, mental health course. It's now a social prescribing one, which was released at the House of Lords a couple of months ago. But there isn't a PMDD one, so that is something to work towards. Yes, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah, and mm -hmm. just thinking about sort of finishing up, the of like anything we can leave the audience with, anything that that would be really useful for them to know. I think, from my perspective, it was realizing how much I don't know about it. And um, finding, I think for me, finding the, the Mind website was really useful, but I would definitely go on and look at other sources as well. Because it seems to me, if you know what's happening, you can do something. And it's, it's the fact that people aren't even asking the question that's that's a scary thing for me. I wondered if um, the others had anything to say before we come back to you to finish, Lindsay? Mm, I think, Dave, Yeah, I think I'm just thinking in terms of, you know, personally, you know, mm. as a promoting it to people where that might be a concern now I'll be much more aware of it and I think as um, a sort of health nurse and in a sort of leadership position as well I think just um, you know promoting it and advocating amongst um, you know healthcare staff really to ask women about it when they're assessing them or screening them and to encourage women as you say to keep menstrual diaries and start to recognize the cycle and Certainly, I've written down some of the antidepressants that you mentioned as well, um, and and just to kind of promote that general awareness and and also, um, and I think this would be useful to have further conversations thinking about women in the health and justice system as well, and the things that we may need to think about and look at for you know that particular group of women as well. So yeah. Mm, so Lindsay, would you like to finish us up? Yeah, so I think if I was to leave people with like take home messages, um, one would be that PMDD is not PMS. It's a really debilitating disorder which can end lives. Um, next key message would be that there are opportunities to intervene and to support. So asking, regardless of what your health profession is, asking people about whether they experience these monthly crises or you know monthly mental health episodes um, even if all you do is direct them to the IAPMD website um, and yeah. if you have if you have the scope to refer them somewhere else great but even if you just refer them to information that in itself can um, mm. can be life-changing and yeah spread the word that um yeah, spread the word the more we can raise awareness and like this kind of opportunity chatting with you today this has been a fantastic opportunity and um we all appreciate it fantastic um look on twitter people for resources for links it's all going out thanks to dave he's done a fantastic job quietly retreating away um and really lovely to see you all lovely for us all to be back as a gang so we'll be seeing you next week and thank you very much guys bye bye thank you. bye, bye. Bye.